0: Brothers and sisters, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. Today, I want us to look together at a passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. And just for a little bit more context, I'm actually going to read verses 32 and 33. I'm asking if you'll please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is a dark time in the life of Jesus and his disciples as Jesus is about to go to the cross and he says these words to his disciples just, bef- just a few moments before his betrayer comes with the Roman soldiers to take him away. And Jesus says this, John sixteen thirty two to 33, this is God's holy word for us. Jesus says, "'Behold, the hour is coming.'" Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is God's holy word. Let's ask him to bless our time. Father, this is indeed your holy word, the words you gave to Jesus to speak at exactly the right time and in exactly the right way and to have them written down, remembered by the Holy Spirit, written down for us, preserved for us, translated into our language, opened before us this very morning because you have something for all of us today through this powerful word. You appointed this word for this day, and we ask you to bless the reading of it, and now please bless the preaching of it as well. Encourage us and write this truth upon our hearts, and may we live with it and carry it out with us in the coming week. We ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that I love about the Bible is how realistic it is. The Bible is honest with us, and it's true to life. And one reason for that is that the books of the Bible were written by real people in real places... In real history, in the real world, these authors were acquainted with every aspect of real life, just like you and me. And they don't sugarcoat anything. They are honest about life, they're honest about the world. And that gives the Bible its realistic feel. When we open the Bible, you don't feel like you're reading a fable or some sort of science fiction or something like that. We're reading about things that are feet on the ground, true to life, and realistic. You know, there's an old cliche you've probably heard that says, there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus assures his disciples of two additional certainties of life. They were acquainted with death, and yes, they had to pay taxes. Those were certainties for them under the Romans, just like it is for us. But Jesus here gives them an assurance that there are two additional certainties in life. The first is suffering. He says, in the world you will have Tribulation. This is true for all people without exception. The second certainty, however, is only for those who belong to Jesus. He says, I have overcome the world. You see, these are the two great realities for the follower of Jesus tribulation in the world and triumph. In Christ and in light of these realities as we live here and now in the overlap of them this side of the resurrection Jesus calls us to make the proper response take heart this is a response of faith and hope this is a response of trust in the Lord And as we look to the Scriptures this morning, let us consider these three points in the text. The two realities and the Christian response. Tribulation in the world, triumph in Christ, trust in the Lord. We'll start with the first. Tribulation in the world. The Bible does not promise us a life of undisturbed, uninterrupted comfort, convenience, and ease. It's far too realistic for that. Jesus, in fact, says the opposite. And he states it as a simple fact. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world means in this life. Have tribulation means to suffer. And you will is a guarantee. It is certain that in this life you will suffer. Now it doesn't say that everyone will suffer equally. Or that everyone will suffer in the same way or to the same extent. The Bible is too realistic for that too. But what is certain is that all of us, sometime or other, one way or another, will suffer. And that suffering will eventually culminate in the process or series of events that leads to our own death. That is the first real world reality Jesus assures us of Now this word tribulation in the ESV it means affliction affliction In the world you will be afflicted In the world you will be afflicted by the world by life by circumstances, by other people, by your own self, and why? because the world is fallen, because the world is a place that 's been broken by sin, devastated by the consequences of Sin, the distortion and the disorder and the disaster and the devastation of sin. At its heart, the physical world has a moral defect. Fallen people who live in the world and run the world, and it puts the whole thing out of order, leading to corruption and death. We ourselves and everyone we know is also afflicted and broken. This is the doctrine of original sin and it's the doctrine of total depravity. We're born in the condition of being broken and sinful and fallen and we live in that condition so that everything in you and everything from you is affected by sin to some extent. That's why our homes are not Perfect. That's why your life is not just one unending experience of always doing what you want to do and living up to your own standards. Forget God's. We ourselves are broken. We ourselves live in a broken home with broken people. And and the families that come from us and the societies that come from us and the countries we make and all the stuff we put in the world, as great and wonderful as it is, it's all affected by sin. All of it is tainted, corrupted, distorted. There's a mixture of the good and the bad. It's a fracture that cuts through the soul of each one of us and that cuts through life And cuts right through the world we live in. Our world is broken and afflicted by sin, by corruption, by death, by disorder and distortion, at the physical level all the way to the moral level. Corruption and devastation and death surround us in the world. Now, there are many kinds and degrees and durations of affliction or suffering, that we experience. And these go from the simple stuff, you know, quote-unquote simple stuff, all the way to the most horrific. We face the basic challenges and difficulties and disappointments of daily or weekly life. We face hardship that's caused by very difficult situations and circumstances, a desperate family situation or financial situation or turmoil at work or turmoil in a relationship that puts all kinds of stress and depression and anxiety on us. We face sickness and disease, handicaps, disabilities, both in ourselves and in other people we love and care about, And hate to see go through these things. There are tragedies. There are accidents. There are car wrecks and injuries. There's painful surgeries that don't work and they leave you maimed. We lose arms and limbs. We lose abilities. We lose things we used to be able to do. We can't do anymore. For some, it's the burden we carry of having to care for another person who can't care for themselves. Think of the, the daily hardship that caregivers go through when they take care of a spouse or a parent or a child who can't take care of themselves anymore. The ups and downs that you could feel and the pressure and difficulty of those situations. We've all lost someone we love We all have someone we cherished and loved and cared about who's gone, who was here one Christmas and is gone the next. Now, we anticipate that we're going to lose people, right? We anticipate the occasional empty chair at the table. But some people die far too young or it's a freak accident or some people are killed or murdered. And this stuff's on the news all the time. And you just think, what kind of life, what kind of world do we live in? And then there's all the different ways we get sinned against and mistreated and abused and hurt and violated and cast aside and ignored and not cared about. Things that aren't fair, that aren't right, that are just awful. All of us have either had some of that, you're in some of that, or it's coming later. And we've all had it to different degrees and different extents. I mean, you lose people, you lose a pet... And eventually, eventually, you have to face your own demise as you vanish from this world in your own death. In this world, you will have tribulation and be afflicted with some kind, form, and extent of suffering. Some more, some less. But all of us, at some point and to some degree, this is a certainty. It's reality. And the Bible and Jesus is very realistic about it. In this world, Jesus assures us, you will have tribulation. But thank God there's more to the verse than that. Because this is Jesus who's saying it. Jesus doesn't leave you there, Christian, with all that horror. Jesus there says there's another reality, a second certainty. And it's just for you, Christian. It's just for you. He says, "I have overcome the world." And if you think long and hard enough about you will have tribulation, then that next line, I've overcome the world, ought to come with a thunderbolt of joy. (laughs) Striking right through a broken heart. He's overcome all this? Is that the reality? Yes, Christian. Jesus has overcome. You see, he came and he rolled up his sleeves and he put on your shoes and he walked In this life, just like you. He lived this same life in real history, in the real world, the same world you live in. He walked in that same affliction. He endured that same suffering. He went to the cross. He was lied about, falsely charged, betrayed by his friends. In verse 32, he says... The hour is coming, indeed, it's already here when you're going to be scattered and you're going to leave me alone. His best friends, his closest companions will forsake him and let him go to the cross by himself. And the only thing Jesus could say is, I'm not really alone as long as the Father's with me. As long as he's with me. And because God was with him, because he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross, God has highly exalted him. And given him the name that is above every name. He has made him Lord of all. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Because he went to the cross and bore all the sin. And bore all the suffering. And by his wounds were healed. We're told by scripture. He vanquished our enemies. He conquered Our affliction. He overcame the world. Jesus has triumphed by his life, by his suffering, by his love, by his faithfulness, by his obedience, by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension, seated at God's right hand. And now he tells you, Christian, that he has power over this world that afflicts, he has purpose in your affliction. And he has provision of your final victory, not just his. Because if he just overcame and left us behind, good for Jesus, but where does that leave me? The only reason he says, I've overcome the world, is not to say, I've overcome and you haven't. Ha ha. It's to say, I've overcome for you. My victory's for you. And now he has power over this world. He's sovereign over your affliction. He's sovereign over the things that come into your life. Everything that comes into your life, I had a professor in seminary who just said it really simply. Imagine your suffering is like a, piece, is like a letter, a piece of paper that comes across Jesus' desk. And it doesn't leave his desk and come into your life unless he signs off on it. And he doesn't sign off on it unless he has purpose, good, holy, and wise purpose for doing so. He, can, he has power over the world, and he can give purpose to your affliction so it's not just a bunch of meaningless horror and tragedy with no purpose, no redemptive value, completely gratuitous, random, accidental, meaningless. No. He fills it full of divine purpose, and He makes provision for your final victory. Jesus has overcome the world, so that no matter what affliction comes your way, no matter what affliction crosses His desk and He signs off and allows to come to you, He has assured that your victory is His victory, and you will rise above it. You will be exalted too. In Christ, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. These are the two realities. Tribulation in the world. Triumph in Christ. And therefore, the only proper response that Jesus calls us to. Therefore, He says, take heart. Take heart, Christian. Take heart means to have courage and confidence. Take heart, be encouraged, have courage and confidence, have a hopeful outlook in the midst of the affliction of this world. He means go through life responding to suffering by taking heart. Go through life enduring the affliction trusting in the Lord's triumph. We have no difficulty trusting in the affliction that we get in the world. That's staring us in the face. We have no issue doubting that. What we struggle, what we doubt, is that He really has overcome for me. And it can be so hard to take heart when things hurt so bad and seem so wrong and so unfair. And this is where Jesus calls us to take heart by trusting him. Take heart by trusting him. If we back up to chapter 14, Jesus says this a couple places. You see, chapters 14, 15, and 16 are all one long speech from Jesus. And he begins the first words out of his mouth for this long discourse in chapter 14. Uh, In chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, famously, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There it is. How do you take heart? You trust in the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. Take heart. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Take heart. Trust in the Lord and trust in His good promises of eternal life in his Father's house. And if we do this, if we will put our faith in him and trust in him, just look at how Jesus describes what we get in this life. Not just the hope of the next life, free from all the affliction, but in the middle of it, in the middle of it, to sustain us through it, Jesus tells us what he gives to you when you take heart And you trust in him. And the first thing is that he gives you his peace. Chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives the kind of peace that got Jesus through Gethsemane and onto the cross and out the other side into eternal life, raised from the dead, that kind of peace, the peace that can steady you and keep you tranquil and keep you balanced and keep you going forward and keep you calm, that can quiet anxiety, that can hush the other voices that tell you to doubt, that can speak into the storms in your soul like Jesus did on the lake peace be still and you can know that calm it's not automatic you have to put your trust in Jesus and ask him lord give me your peace it's peace not like the world gives the world afflicts us it doesn't give us peace it gives us faults hopes of peace How many of us turn to things of the world? Things that by themselves aren't that bad. But if you look to the things of the world to get the peace only Jesus gives, you just get hollow husks and ashes that can't satisfy and can't give you that peace. When we're anxious, we'll turn to food or we'll turn to scrolling our phones or we'll go out and we'll shop and we'll buy some stuff or we'll... Call somebody on the phone or we'll, we'll look to everything else to get the peace we think we need. Or we'll think, man, if I just had that house, that car, that decor in my kitchen, this spouse, that relationship, this bank account, this opportunity, that career. And we f- we'd try to just stuff ourselves with things we think will give us the peace we need. And they might give you measures of contentment momentarily. But they always run dry because they're empty wells. And there's no living water in those wells. Drink somewhere else, Christian. Christ has a fountain of peace that would boggle your mind if you really took a drink of it. But it really is open. It really is there. Believe in God, believe also in me. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He can give you his peace. Back in our passage, he says this in 1633. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace and nowhere else. He gives us his peace, supernatural peace that we can't explain He also promises to give us his presence, to give us his very presence. If you back up in chapter 16 to verses 26 and 27, he says, He says, In that day, you will ask in my name. He's talking about prayer. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Meaning, you're not going to come ask me for things, and then I'm going to go ask the Father. For you. you you're you're going to get to bypass asking me and just ask in my name. Ask the Father directly, he says. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed, believed, believed that I came from God. The Father Himself loves you. And in chapter 14, he says, if we obey his commands, verse 23, if we obey his commands, that's what it means to love Jesus. And if we love Jesus, the Father will love us, the Son will love us, and they will both come and make their home with us. You are guaranteed the promise of God dwelling with you. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come live in your house. A room with you in the midst of your affliction. You can have peace and you can know the absolute presence of God. And the last thing that I'll mention. That we get when we take heart by trusting in the Lord. He gives us his peace. He gives us his presence. And the last thing is amazingly. He gives us his joy. At the most At rock bottom, when you would expect to have nothing remotely resembling joy, Jesus can give you a joy, a joy He had that got Him to the cross. For the author of the Hebrews says, For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. And that same joy can help you endure the affliction, the suffering that you might face in your life. He says this with a parable In John 16 verses 20 to 22. Let's look at this parable he gives. This illustration. He says, truly, truly I say to you. Now he's talking to his disciples about when Jesus is crucified. The kind of sorrow that's going to afflict them when this happens. He says, truly, truly I say to you. You will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And here's the parable. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, he says in verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Can you imagine in the middle of your suffering having a joy that nobody, nothing can take away from you? You have sorrow now, but there is a joy that you can have that cannot be snatched from you that will carry you through when by faith you see Christ for who He is in His triumph. We have an old hymn that just summarizes, summarizes this so perfectly. one that I really love. It's based on a verse in Luke, Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, verses 6 and 7, Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Look how cheap a sparrow was in those days. Five sparrows were sold for two pennies. And not one of them is forgotten by God. The most insignificant little bird they could think of, a sparrow. And not one of them is forgotten by God. And Jesus says, Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, take heart you are of more value than many sparrows. Why should I feel discouraged, the old hymn says? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? A Constant friend is he his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me let not your heart be troubled his tender words I hear and resting on his goodness I lose my doubt and fear though by the path he leadeth but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing and hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care, he sets me free. His eyes on the sparrow, man. And I know he watches me. The next, Why, do God, why does God put trees outside your window? And why does he let little birds land on them when you're sitting there looking? And why is that little bird sitting there? God put that little bird there at that moment. So you look at that bird and you think, God has not forgotten that silly little bird. And that means if he hasn't forgot a bird, then I can know he hasn't forgotten me either. His eye is on that sparrow, and I know he's watching me too, and he is my portion. And that's why I sing because I'm happy. (laughs) And I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. I mean, hallelujah. If you're suffering today, man, suffering is awful. Man, if you have pain in your heart because you've lost something or you've lost yourself, man, that's not good. It hurts. It's real. And the Bible doesn't minimize it. But the Bible does say, Christian, Jesus has overcome. He has triumphed. And you can take heart because his triumph is for you and you are not forgotten. He's watching the little bird out there on the limb, and you can know he's watching you because he loves you more than multitudes of birds put together. You're precious to him. So, take heart, Christian. Take heart. We live in real tribulation, but we are promised real triumph. And when that full triumph is ours, when this life is over, and we are raised up out of our graves, we will know a joy that is full and lasts forever and cannot be diminished. We live in tribulation but we have the foretaste of that triumph now as we experience supernatural peace, the supernatural presence of God, and the supernatural joy of having Jesus as our portion. Take heart today, Christian. Take heart. Trust in the Lord. Trust and obey. Because there's no other way. Let's pray. Father, I just, my heart breaks for anybody here, or anybody who's watching, or someone who wishes they could be here, or couldn't. Just anybody in our families, or in our church, that's just in anguish, that's suffering, that's desperate, that's doubting, that's questioning, that's, their hearts so hurt today, they're just so broken. Whether it's us, or someone we know, Lord, I just, We just cry out for them today. And we ask that you would help all of them and us as well to face the tribulation of the world by putting our hope and confidence in the triumph you've promised. By taking heart today and help us to know your peace. A supernatural peace that the world can't give and can't understand. Give us your presence so that we know you're so close and so near and so with us and that nothing we go through is meaningless. That we don't begin to doubt your goodness. May we draw the closer to you. Next time we see a little bird on a tree limb, fill our hearts with joy and reassure us that you see us, that we are not forgotten that your promises are true and solid and real and will never let us go. Help us to sing with the joy of the Lord as we trust you and obey you no matter what. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.